All right. Last week, we started a series on the church. And again, this is kind of going back to the basics, I realize. Uh, We uh, wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in the church. (laughs) To some level, there, there already is an established belief system and conviction. I like what Jake said Uh, last Sunday regarding coming to church and it being a conviction and uh, how important that is. And so you wouldn't be here if you didn't have some conviction or some belief already regarding uh, the church. But in a sense, we're going back to the basics. We're going back to uh, Vince Lombardi's uh, talk with the the Packers after they, 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 they blew a game. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And we're, we're kind of going back to that. Uh, this is the church. This is what the, we, we kind of have lost in a lot of ways what the church really is and what it's really all about. And, and we've really lost even the essence of the church and the, the people and, and, and what, what we're here for and what we're doing together and why it even uh, is important that we come together. As I spent a lot of time last week in, in introduction of the introduction, uh, we, we've now turned the church in a lot of ways into social clubs, into social, social justice centers, a form of religion or an entertainment center or a place where uh, we can get some emotional fix or have some sort of uh, re- religious type production to maybe salve our conscience, to make us maybe feel better, to think that we did something for the Lord. We, we've, we've gotten to the place and then, of course, COVID came and the restrictions and dealing with all of that and 30 percent again going back to the statistics that i've been hearing 30 percent of people who attended church before the covid shutdown have never returned to church that's been the average and for some they never really were that committed in the first place for others it 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 just they realized the church for them was nothing more than just a, a social club why bother going to church when they can get the same from the Optimist Club, from the American Legion, or uh, the, the VFW, uh, or whatever the different clubs are, uh, Lions Club, and I don't know what all the different ones are, are that are out there. And some people realize, well, they can, they can get all that, and they're, they're not getting fed from the Word of God. They're not really having anything that distinct or different from what those social clubs can offer. Uh, They can go out and visit the Green family 18 times on a Sunday morning and have as much value for for some of them as they would in in church, sad sad to say. So they've they've quit. They've they've given up. There are people who have given up on church because they're, they're coming to church for all the wrong reasons. What's in it for me? What what can I get out of it? instead of seeing uh, what the church is, is really for and why we're here. And so we'll, we'll get into, again, some of the, uh, the basics, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll go to verse 16, where we were last week. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was the answer to the questions, Whom do men say? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am. And there was the answer in verse 14 of some say John the Baptist, some say Elias or Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus, point blank, asked the apostles, asked the disciples, 
whom do you, who do ye say that I am? And Simon Peter made that great statement. Here's a man who often made a, a dumb statement, who often put his foot in his mouth, making one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. And, of course, God would then use him to, to preach in Acts chapter 2, uh, when we often talk about the, the, the beginning of the church and the, the souls that were saved that day. But he makes that statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, we went back to the basics last week, and we looked at this passage in Matthew 16, and we see that there was a little bit of a play on words that Jesus was using here, that there has been a misunderstanding, and the Catholic Church latched hold of this passage back in the early centuries and made Peter the Pope, the vicar of Christ. That is a blasphemous statement if we think about it. Peter, a man, a sinner, yes, a sinner saved by grace, he is the substitute for Christ. That's what that word vicar means. And for him to be able to speak ex cathedra, to be the actual voice of God and to be able to speak new revelation. So when a pope speaks ex cathedra, he is actually, according to Catholic doctrine, speaking new revelation. That's extremely dangerous. That's blasphemous. That undermines the authority of the word of God. And, of course, they have taken Peter, they've made him the Pope, the first Pope, and then on and on and on it goes. But that's a misunderstanding. That's a wrong interpretation of this passage. Again, Peter is the word petros, meaning pebble or stone. He says, you are Peter, thou art Peter. You're a little pebble. You're a little stone. And upon this rock, Petra, bedrock, foundation stone, I will build my church. Upon that truth that Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the statement is, Upon that truth, upon Christ, I will build my church. Upon that foundation, someone said it last week, upon Peter's confession, the truth of his confession. Upon the truth of that statement, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ will build his church. And what does he say again? He says, I will build my church. Verse 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the gates of hell are a formidable foe, but the church will bust the gates of hell wide open, will break down the gates of hell. There is opposition. We have to be aware of that. We've been talking on Wednesday nights about the armor of God and Christian warfare. It's clear that we are in a Christian warfare. There are oppositions. We're talking about it in our series in the book of John. There is clear opposition. There is persecution. There is resistance. But we must build the church God's way. And when we build the church God's way, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. There's all kinds of philosophies about how man can build the church. And many of the man centered ways have been very detrimental, have hurt the, 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 the true church and the, the local assembly. And there's been denominational error, and now we've seen even recently denominations that gave up sound doctrine 50, 60 years ago. Now they are giving up clear 
lines of stand when it comes to sin. When, when, when we see the United Methodist Church that in many cases in its hierarchy started to reject sound doctrine many years ago, now the African United Methodist Church comes over a couple years ago and they have a big convention and there's a huge controversy over the ordaining of homosexual pastors, both male and female. And now the, whole, now the homosexual movement has come to the place where now there's transgenders that are being ordained in some places. The United Methodist Church is going through a split. Well, there should have been a stand taken 50, 60, however many years ago when they first began to compromise. But we drove by a church, a former United Methodist Church, just the other day. And I know that there have been some conservative United Methodist churches some that maybe have continued to preach the gospel, but I know a lot of the United Methodist churches, they quit preaching uh, salvation by faith alone and Christ alone many, many years ago. There's probably some remnant somewhere that has remained faithful to the gospel, but I, I personally don't know of any. I know that in the denomination, they gave up the, the truth regarding the gospel many years ago, but there's a United Methodist church that we would drive by all the time on the way to Kelly's parents' house, and they even took their name off recently. They've changed their name, and with this whole split going on, uh, it's, it's very controversial. But they gave up sound doctrine, and they undermined the authority of the Word of God. It's no wonder, then, that sin issues that become culturally acceptable, the church begins to accept, when the Bible is very clear on those sin issues. Earl, you had a comment? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, so the global is even a spinoff from, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. And I know that uh, there's even, it's commonly known even among the Episcopalians that they're very ecumenical, and we can go on and on, and this is not a denominational doctrines class, but the, the point is that Christ will build his church, and the church must be built upon Christ and the foundational, fundamental doctrines of the Bible. And we must follow God's way for building his church. And a lot of the man-made, man-centered schemes, marketing movements, the gospel, Paul talks about the gospel not being a commodity that we sell. And that's one of the real dangers that has crept into the church is the gospel has become commercialized. And it's almost a commodity that we peddle, that we sell, like we do at the kiosks and the, the vendors and at the stores. And there's, again, I remember being in seminary and coming out of seminary in the church marketing movement. I talked about Bill Hybels a little bit last week. I won't reiterate all that. But let's go back again to some foundational statements. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Going down then to Colossians, or excuse me, to Ephesians 5 and verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Who is the head of the church? Christ. Not the federal government. Not the state government. Not even the local government. Now, do we have some allegiance in the sense that we have fire codes and building codes and we 
try to follow the proper tax codes in the 504C3 for tax exempt. We have kept good records. We're thankful for uh, leadership here and for keeping good records financially. We're trying to do things legally and above board and above reproach. We're, we're honoring Caesar. We're rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And sometimes I know that can feel like it's walking a tightrope, especially nowadays. But when there is abuse in the church and it reaches that level of legality, the government's going to have to step in. That brings reproach on the name of Christ. We've seen entire denominations now that have been affected by abuse. I remember calling the police on more than one occasion as a Christian school principal and uh, having to deal with accusations of abuse. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't our teachers. Praise God, it wasn't anybody on our faculty and staff. But the fact that a child had said something and the teacher was liable legally to say something to me and then I had to take it to the proper authorities for me to not follow those protocols would bring reproach on the church on on the ministry so there's a legal balance I realize sometimes that we have to a legal tightrope that we have to balance that we have to walk but that doesn't change the fact that the church belongs to Christ he is the foundation he is the head so when the government comes in and says you can or you can't preach this or that, that's when we say, no, thus saith the Lord. As for me and my house, or as uh, Peter and, and John in the, the book of Acts, uh, we will continue to, to preach. Uh, you can say what you want, do what you want, but we're going to continue to proclaim the gospel. And after they got arrested and told to shut up, what did they do? They went right back out and began to preach the gospel again. The, the, the government has no business telling us what we can and cannot preach. Now, they're getting into more and more, aren't they? Our religious freedoms are becoming more and more under duress. And some of that, not all of it, some of that is because of the lack of faithfulness to the word of God that professing Christians have have not taken. They're, they're, they're not being faithful to the word of God. Some of the reasons the government steps in, not always, there's, there's persecution. That's just blatant persecution. But some of it, the church has brought on itself because of its worldliness, because of its sin, because of its compromise. And we have to be careful that we don't bring reproach on the name of Christ because of sinful activity, but also not bring reproach on the name of Christ because of compromise on areas that the Bible has clearly said thou shalt not or principle or promise form where we know we must obey the word of God and render unto God what belongs to God and not continue to try to find that fence where we can put one foot in the world and one foot in the church and try to balance that and we know that no man can serve two masters. Yes, Derek. Yes, yeah. If the salt has lost its savor, right, wherewith shall it be salted? There's no saltiness, right. 
Yep, the rot will advance. Good point. Yep. The light gets diminished. There's no light in the darkness. Good. Good point. So we can go to Colossians 1.18, Ephesians 1.22, Ephesians 4.15, and we see the same principle. We see it stated a little differently in each of those passages that Christ is the head of the church. Now I'm going to give one more illustration, then we'll move on to the next slide. But I go back to about 2010, 2011, when the state of Indiana began to uh, push forward a, a, a voucher program for schools. And I was in the middle of all that as a Christian school principal and whether to accept these vouchers or not. And I'm thankful for leadership in the IACS, and we made a, a decision that we were not going to accept vouchers if it required us to compromise anything regarding our statement of faith, our doctrinal position, our admissions policy, or our curriculum. We made a point that we were not. Now, thankfully, the governor and the attorney general, I believe the Indiana Supreme Court and the state legislature were all lined up in such a way that when the voucher program was passed, uh, there were certain things that we didn't like about it, but they allowed us to have an admissions, uh, they allowed us to have our admissions procedures, they allowed us to keep our curriculum, they allowed us to keep our statement of faith and our doctrinal position, and we believed that we could enter into that program without compromising. And the other thing that I didn't mention is they allowed us to use our own accreditation tool that was recognized by the state of Indiana. So the AACS, the American Association of Christian Schools, they had an accreditation tool that the state recognized, and that was another huge thing. So we felt like we could enter into that program without compromising our beliefs, our admissions, our curriculum, and, and so we, we got into that program. But that was one of those areas we had to delicately balance. Okay, are we going to get into this program which is gonna allow us to have taxpayer money following the student to the school for tuition? But is it gonna cause us to compromise on our admissions, on our curriculum, on our doctrinal statement, our statement of faith, our values, or even accreditation? Because with that accreditation, if it were a state accreditation, would we, would we be able to, with clear conscience, keep all of the state regulations as a Christian school? It was a tough, it was a tough time where we had, a, and Pastor Arrowwood and I spent a lot of time uh, evaluating. And uh, Dr. Ice and some of the others in leadership, we spent a lot of hours trying to decide if this was the right thing. And every year, Eric Miller and I, we, we'd get on the phone and we'd go through the application because we had to reapply every year. And every year, Eric Miller and I'd get on the phone and we'd go through the application. And he'd ask me, what about this? I'd ask Eric this. Okay, what about this statement? He would say, has this changed? Is this? <laughs> we, were, we were fine-tuning everything to make sure that when we signed off the next year, we were not compromising in any way our belief system, our values. And it, 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 it was a tightrope sometimes, uh, but we, we, we stayed in the program but it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot and, and, and helped me a lot. And I appreciate Eric Miller so much uh, for his advice along the way. But we can get into and we're going to find it more and more. We've seen Jack Phillips out in Colorado, uh, Baronelle Stutzman. She lost her, her uh, uh, florist business in the state of Washington. There's a Christian college, not of our stripe and flavor, out in Washington State that is under duress right now because the state of Washington is attacking them 
for their position as a Christian college regarding human sexuality. And they are under pressure from the Washington Supreme Court out in Washington State. There's all kinds of areas where they're attacking. Um, and we have to continue to come back to this basic principle that Christ is the head of the church. He will build his church. And we have to keep coming back to what does the Bible say about the church. So let's go to the next slide and continue in, in, in the basics here. Let's go to the, the, the original language. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. A compound word made up of the preposition that means out from and the verb that means to call. So ekklesia means to call out from. Now, in the, the, the first century, as God is giving the scripture, he's breathing the scripture, he's inspiring the scripture, God breathing the scripture, using human authors, human instruments, but the very words that they are writing are the very words of God. Okay? They are using the language of the day. And someone asked me about this, this word ecclesia. It was a very good question. And in that original language of that day, ecclesia would have been, as you see there on the note, in non-biblical literature, simply an assembly or gathering of people. But notice that there was injected into the meaning of this word a clear Christian principle or meaning, definition. This gathering of people was not for political purposes. It, it wasn't for getting together and having some game time, first century bingo or Yahtzee or whatever. It, it wasn't for getting together and just shooting the breeze and talking about the weather and all that. No, this assembly was going to be unique. It was going to be different than any other local assembly. This was going to be an assembly of blood-washed, born-again believers united by Christ, in Christ, for the worship of the Lord, for Bible study, for prayer, for fasting, and for the breaking of bread, communion, and baptism, the ordinances of the church. This local assembly was going to be distinct. It was going to be different. It was going to be something that the world really had never seen before. The closest thing to it would be the Jewish synagogue or the tabernacle worship from the Old Testament. But this was going to be the New Testament church. And we see it birthed in Acts chapter number 2. And it was different. Nobody in that day saw this gathering of believers and said, hmm, they must be just talking the politics over there. And they must be talking about the weather over there. They must be talking about what they're going to uh, do for entertainment this week. Nobody said that. They realized that this assembly of believers was together for a unique reason. There was a uniting of these believers and they were considered the off-scouring of the world. These were considered unlearned, uneducated. They were considered rejects, weirdos. Nowadays, we would use terms like Jesus freaks. 
I don't like that term, but that's what some people like to, to refer to us as. There was a uniqueness. This ecclesia was not like any other ecclesia they had seen before. And it was the fellowship of the Spirit that was the uniting of this body in Christ. And I've used the illustration many times of being over in Africa and there's a bond. And we all understand as believers the uniqueness of that bond that we have in Christ. It even is a closer bond than we have with blood, with family. That's why Jesus would say, that we have to be willing even to hate our, bro- our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers in order to follow Christ. He's not saying that you hate them in a rejection of the phileo love. He's saying that in order to follow me, to be saved, to be a genuine disciple, it means that we will have to love Christ more than our own family bond. That's why when people leave in some places where there is religious oppression, In many communities, we don't understand it quite the the same here in America, but there are many people around the world, they get saved and they are ostracized by their family. They are cut off. They are rejected. They are literally turned away from their family. That would hurt down to some of the deepest places of of our being to be rejected by our family. It hurts. But what replaced that hurt when one followed Christ and was rejected by family. What replaced that hurt? Christ did. He filled that void. He closed that gap. He brought a family love that comes through a bond in Jesus Christ. That's why some of these people could leave family to follow Christ. That's why in Acts chapter 2, some of those believers, they weren't going to go back. They got saved in Acts 2. And what did the church do? It wasn't The government coming along and saying, okay, everybody is going to have one scoop of rice and one scoop of soup and one piece of bread and one um, knife of butter. And everybody gets the same, you know, equal socialism. We know what communism and socialism is, equal misery for all, right? Except for the ruling class. Okay, sorry. How did I get on that rabbit trail? But what did they do in Acts chapter 2 when they got saved? The, The believers were like, how are we going to go back home? If we go back home, they are going to reject us outright. So what did the church do? It says, we're going to voluntarily give up of our stuff so that these people can stay, they can live, they can survive. Because something new had been born, had been birthed. It was called the church. And there were a lot of little baby Christians who needed more than pacifiers and diapers and Gerber baby food. Okay, spiritually speaking, they now, yes, they needed those things spiritually, those baby elements, but they had now a new family. And they needed growth. And yes, there were physical needs that needed to be met, but now they were disciples of Christ and they needed to be discipled. They needed to grow. They needed to uh, come together. And these ecclesias sprung up all around the Roman Empire. And then Paul took them to Asia and began planting churches all around and was desiring to even go further into Spain. And God had shut the door for a while. And then there's the Ethiopian eunuch who took the church down into Africa. And then we have the 12 apostles after 
Christ uh, ascended back up and, and said to be witnesses and they went out into the four corners of the earth and they are still, we are still finding in discoveries, in archaeological discoveries, we are still finding places where the gospel went all the way back into the early centuries. How did that happen? Because of the church that marched according to God's commands, according to God's orders. How could the gospel, this truth regarding Jesus Christ and salvation from sin, how could that have spread throughout the world? You would think that it would have taken money. Oh, somebody found gold. And what happened in 1849? Gold rush, exactly. What were the Spanish conquistadors or whatever, what were they coming here for? Gold, money. And they abused and they did all kinds. The gospel went forth, not with gold and money and promises of health, wealth, and prosperity, but with salvation from sin, with forgiveness, with the blood of Christ. This message of Christ and the cross went forward and went throughout the whole world. And they were accused in the book of Acts of doing what? Of turning the world upside down. That's the power of the gospel. That's unique. <laughs> That's different. Okay? That's incredible. That's supernatural. So again, I come back to, besides the family, we are a part of the greatest institution that God created. That's an incredible thought. That, that, that is humbling, and it's motivating, and it's inspiring, and it should motivate us to love the church more and be more committed and more faithful, especially in a day and age where we need each other now more than ever because of the compromise and the wickedness and the sin and all that's going on. So, yes? The book of Ecclesiastes, is that related to this word ecclesia? You know, that's a good question. That would be a Hebrew word probably. You stumped me on that one. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and look at that. Because that would probably be a Hebrew word, and I need to go back and see. Yes? Okay, tabernacle, gathering. Okay, uh, right, okay, yes. 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 Great point. Great point. He didn't use the word synagogue. That would have limited. And also, the synagogue worship was based on the wisdom of the rabbis. Whereas the church is based on the wisdom of God, the truth of God. Yeah, great point about synagogue. Good. So, two slides here. We have a little bit of time here. Two slides that I hope will help us sort through some of what's going on in our culture. I've spent a couple of Sundays talking about critical theory, critical race theory, and there's multiple manifestations of it. Okay? But now we're in a day and age of expressive individualism, bodily autonomy, I, de I determine my truth. Okay? So I'm going to do a quick contrast here. We see on this slide that God is calling out to himself people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. People, tongue, tribe, and nation. We, we borrow that from the book of Revelation. So people of different languages, of different ethnic backgrounds and cultures, and of different nationalities. But they're all what? One in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, 
neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, are there natural divisions that are out there? There's geographical divisions, there's cultural divisions, differences. Let me use the word differences. That's a better word, I think, than divisions. There are cultural differences, there are geographic differences, there are these language differences, but there is a oneness in Christ. Okay? Now, there will be one day the meeting of the universal church. The universal church has not yet met. But one day that universal church will meet. And there will be an incredible worship service from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation in Christ, in the presence of Christ, worshiping him. That's going to be a wonderful choir. That's where even I can sing. And it will be a blessing to others around me. Okay, <laughs> But that's going to be a wonderful choir. That's going to have incredible joy, unspeakable joy. <laughs> We're going to be with loved ones. We're going to be right there with people that we, that we know, we love, that have gone before us. I mean, that's an incredible thought. And that promise awaits us. But we are one in Christ. Every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Now, con- contrast that with this. This is our culture today. This is what Satan does. This is what he is doing. Now, I know there was a uniting at the Tower of Babel to try to build that temple to try to reach God, heavens, okay? And, and I don't want to get too carried away here um, and get off on too much of a rabbit trail. But this is what is happening. Expressive individualism, my truth, bodily autonomy. Just three expressions of this. Which then causes institutions to crumble, to fall, to not be trusted, to collapse, down to family. I just heard this past week that now there is a movement to choose your own family. You can reject biological and blood because your family is toxic. You've got to get rid of your toxic family members and choose your own family. But where does that come from? How do two lesbians or two gay men have children? Okay? I don't have to go into any explanation of the birds and the bees there. Okay? They have to have some other alternative method. They choose. Okay? What about abortion? I don't want that child. That child is an inconvenience to me. It, It affects my career. It affects my autonomous self or whatever. I choose then whether I want that child or not. And now you even have rich people who choose designer babies. They have to get from the, I hate to say it this way, from the egg factory, they have to get certain fertilized eggs that have certain genetic components And then you have Ukrainian women who are suffering in Ukraine because they've been cut off from their surrogate surrogate parents, the rich people in Europe and America who have bought the womb, have rented the womb of a Ukrainian woman because they want a baby, and they have borrowed her womb and paid her, and they got cut off when the war started, and there were all these surrogate, surrogate babies, and they couldn't get them to their rich European and American parents. Choice after choice after choice, I am the master of my own fates. 
I choose for myself my truth. I decide for myself. As a matter of fact, we are so great, we can stop climate change. We are so powerful that if we just give all of our money and all of our power to certain powers that be, then we can have zero natural catastrophes and we can all have wealth and prosperity and health. Okay? We see where this goes. This choosing has gotten so sinful that now we are rejecting family, uh, religion, and I'm going to talk about true Christianity as the one true religion that we know is primarily a relationship and less of a religion. But religion, if there is religion, it's private, it's individual, or it's ecumenical, tolerance. Identity now is the highest good and the most authentic self. So now even biological or natural realities must be submitted to identity. So if that's what people are buying into, where does the church fit into that? Come and serve? Sacrifice? Me sit in an auditorium with that person from that background, with that belief, having been saved from that, if they even want to use the word saved, okay. But you see what I'm saying? If the church doesn't fit the world's mold and definition, this is where the world is going. This is what Satan is doing. And the world system, and the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. So where does this... Whoops, I went too far. So where does this fit in then? We're quite unique and different, aren't we? We're saying come together, serve one another, give of ourselves to others, worship God, look out beyond ourselves to the highest being, God himself, and love him and serve him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors, which includes giving them the gospel and serving them and sacrificing for them. No matter what they look like, no matter what their background, no matter if they have tattoos or smell like smoke or just got off of a drug rehab. We love them in Christ, and we serve them, and we forgive, and we love, and we come together, and we worship, and we keep our eyes on the Lord. I mean, it, it's, it's quite the contrast, isn't it? This is the church. This is quite the contrast, but this is, this is what we're, we're, we're up against now uh, more and more in, in people's thinking. Earl? Yes, yes. Inclusive in that sense, right. Yes. 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 Right. 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 And there's that constant tension, but we live with that and we embrace that because we know that we are only saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That union, that bond is only through the blood of Christ. Yeah, good point. We're just about out of time here, so yes, Joey. Yes. Yes. We can't worship God 
Correct. Yeah. Yes. That's a, yeah, it's a great passage, Acts 17, great passage, probably Mars, Mars Hill, or I think, yeah, where Paul's... So, if we go back real quick here, so then, what, 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 what else can we put into these places? Idols. We can put into these categories, we can put in gold, silver, stone, idols. But, oh, we don't have gold, silver, um, rock, you know, idols. We don't, have, we don't have those statues and those idols. Uh, we're, 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 we're more advanced than that. So now, now what are our gods? We can put other things in there, but then what does it lead to? Each progression goes what? Even further to we are worshiping self. That's essentially what it does. We're replacing God with self. And when we are worshiping ourselves, we come down to every man doing what is right in his own eyes. We come to anarchy. And then that's where government has to take over more and more. We're either going to submit to God's government, God's authority, or we're going to give ourselves over to a corrupt, man-centered government, usually of a dictatorial nature, authoritarian type of nature. As America continues to push God out and reject God, the government's just going to keep stepping in more and more because we can't control ourselves. We can't discipline ourselves. I think it was John Adams who even said something along the lines of, if we can't govern ourselves, we're going to have to be governed by an authoritarian dictator-type government. And our democracy is going to fail, not because of a certain person becoming a president or a certain group or party having leadership. It, our democracy will fail because of our own sinfulness our own idolatrous selfishness and rejection of, of God and his authority. All right, we are out of time. Um, thank you for the, the input. We'll come back to this, Lord willing, uh, next week. And so um, let's see here. Uh, Derek, can you close us in prayer? And then uh, we'll get ready for the service. Amen. Amen. 